You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. This evening we are marking the Feast of St. Benedict, though in the church calendar that feast day was actually last Sunday. I wanted to move it forward by a week because this is the first Sunday in 18 months that we've had an actual congregation present in this church building. And it's nice to not simply be looking at a camera lens, I have to tell you. It's a small group. Most of you are volunteers who have stepped forward over the course of the year as musicians or liturgy assistants. And then others of you who said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be an usher as we transition back, or I'll help with cleanup as we transition back, or I'll register names at the door. And so this is a little bit of a test run and just to get a feel for being back together. Next Sunday, things will open up more widely. And for those of you on our email list, you will see information on that tomorrow. But it's a congregation all the same. It seemed a good day on which to remember our patron. Now, I'm still going to focus my sermon on the story of David, as I have since the middle of June, but I can actually recognize how the wisdom and spirit of Benedict can help illuminate this particular David story. So watch. Picking up from where we left off last Sunday evening, David has now brought the Ark of the Covenant, the wooden cabinet in which the stone tablets of the law are kept. He's brought them into the city of David, Jerusalem. As I noted last week, it's Walter Brueggemann's view that bringing the ark to Jerusalem was both a faithful act and a canny strategic move. This city is now not only the political capital for the tribes of Israel, but also its symbolic spiritual center. For those of the old school who still remembered with fondness and a touch of idealism the days prior to the establishment of the monarchy, Solidifying the spiritual and political in one location was David's way of saying, a whole new day has dawned. And indeed, things seem to be going very well. Listen to how the reading opens. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies round him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I'm living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind. The Lord is with you. David was settled. The people were experiencing peace. And in that time of peace, David begins to reflect, saying to the prophet Nathan that he wants to build a proper home for the ark. After all, he's living in a house of cedar, which is a precious wood, greatly valued at that time, and very much associated with royalty. But the ark of God stays in a tent. 
Nathan seems to think that this is a fine idea, or at least he does in, until he turns in for the night and hears a different message from God. Tell David I need no house of cedar is what Nathan hears. Since the days when the covenant law was first given, the tablets rested in a tent. Whenever the people moved, the tent went with them. Did I ever ask for anything different? No. But I've been with you through thick and thin, David. It's been quite a journey, hasn't it? All that you've done in my name to bring this people of mine to a place of peace and unity is on account of my being present with you through thick and thin, from following the sheep, becoming prince over my people Israel. No, you won't build me a house, says the Lord, but rather I will make of you a house. It's a little play on words. The Hebrew word used can mean either a building, such as a temple, or a family line, a dynasty. The message Nathan will deliver to David moves him from being the one who wants to build a temple to being the one for whom God will build a family line, a a heritage. Now I'm persuaded that part of what's happening is that David is being, in a sense, reined in. He's done a whole lot to bring Israel to this place, cannily and faithfully both. And now he has set before himself one more great landmark project, the building of the temple. But no, David, that's not yours to build. You can't do everything. You can't achieve every milestone moment in your people's story. The temple work will indeed be completed, but by one of your heirs, David, not by you. You can't do it all. It's interesting to note that the version of David's story told in 1 Chronicles adds one more layer to this, namely that David has blood on his hands. The text reads, You shall not build a house for my name, for you are a warrior and have shed blood. David, you've been the military leader and defender of this people, and that's enough. You're not going to build the temple. You can't do everything. Now, how is that at all connected to the life and work of St. Benedict? whose memory we celebrate this night. Well, Benedict was really the founding figure in Western monasticism, and his rule is still the guiding document for much of the monastic world. Written in 516 for the community of monks that had gathered round Benedict, it's fair to say that part of what the rule insists is that no one can do everything. No one should even try. The motto, ora et labora, pray and work, is a great informing principle of Benedictine spirituality. Yet it's also fair to say that Pax, peace, stands at its heart. The rule is intended to structure community life peaceably, and in a way that extends deep hospitality to anyone who knocks at the door. 
This peaceableness is shaped by prayer and work, ora et labora, but also by making sure that rest, leisure, celebration, beauty are all part of life. The monks and nuns in the Benedictine tradition certainly observe a discipline of fasting, but there's also room for feasting. About a decade ago, I spent 10 days at the Collegeville Institute in Minnesota, which is part of the ministry of St. John's Abbey. I have spent lots of chunks of time there, but in this particular instance, I was there on an Eastertide writing retreat. And on the Sunday, which happened to be the second Sunday in Eastertide, the various writers and scholars in residence at the Institute were invited to join the monastic community for lunch following Sunday Mass. Our host was Father Killian MacDonald, one of my absolute favorite human beings. And as Killian led us into the dining room to join the 150 or so monks, we were faced with a gorgeous feast. There was ham and turkey and roast beef, three or four different potato dishes, probably a dozen different salads, all manner of pickles, relishes, and mustards, several different types of bread, coffee and desserts. Oh, and a glass of wine was on offer as well. As we settled with our plates round the table, Killian smiled and said, Don't think we always eat this way, but it's a Sunday in Eastertide. It's a time to feast. Then there was a wee pause, and a mischievous look came across his octogenarian face, and he said, Come back in Lent if you don't believe me. Benedictines have a sensibility built around balance. That same sensibility teaches a Benedictine that they cannot do everything. They have their work and prayer in the community. They have their areas of strength and areas of weakness, their failings and their hopes, just like any one of us. Thing is, they take time in community to learn from it, and they tend to know when it's time to just let the day end and go to bed. Interestingly, Benedictines tend to be very long-lived. Father Killian will turn 100 in September, and while he's considerably slowed up from what he was even five years ago, when he was still working on his poetry, wondering if he had one more book to be published, his life under the rule has served him ever so well. It was on another visit there, probably in about 2014, when he looked at me with his always sparkling eyes and said, I do not have a single regret in my life. And isn't that remarkable? Do you know, that Benedictine sensibility isn't limited to the world of monks and nuns and monasteries. It's something that can be embraced by all of us in the here and now of our lives lived in whatever neighborhood we call home. 
that sense of making space for life in its fullness, attentive to what makes us whole and wholly the people we were created to be. Sometimes that means letting go. David, the temple is not yours to build. You can't do everything. Neither can I, neither can you, neither can anyone. And isn't that a blessed thing to embrace? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.